following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. All right, so who's into the British monarchy? <laughs> oh, I see some hands. I see some hands. I will not mock you too mercilessly. Uh, you, you know, you, you, how many people love this stuff? Like you see the magazines and the, you, you all kind of look at it. Um, I think that there are two types of Americans, those who care about the British monarchy and uh, real Americans. <laughs> oh, I'm so... It's so mean. Oh, it's getting worse, I promise. So to let you know the type of sarcastic people I follow on Twitter, there was like a few years ago, somebody got married over there to somebody else. Do you remember this? Right? <laughs> this is the, the, my favorite person on Twitter said this. Oh, heavens, I can't wait to watch King Simon marry the fairy princess Brianna or whatever. What a magical day for all of us. <laughs> um, that's about how I feel about it. But listen, I'm interested in all kinds of stupid stuff that you probably think is very silly, and everybody likes something different, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but <laughs> I think this monarchy thing is kind of weird for us, because other than the, the, the tabloid magazines and, you know, who's on the cover of People and how many babies did they have and which prince is going to have the throne and all that stuff that we kind of follow the way some people follow sports, right, which is just as absurd and pointless, by the way, uh, even though I love it. <laughs> um, aside from that, we don't really have much to help us understand what it means to be uh, subjects of a monarchy. And today is Christ the King Sunday, also known as Reign of Christ Sunday. And so we have to, this morning, uh, try to get our heads around what it means to worship God as a king, to serve Christ as a king. And we don't have any any material for that. Like, our whole relationship with kings is that we kicked one to the curb. That was kind of the central premise of the founding of our nation. I should know, I listened to like one-fifth of the Hamilton soundtrack. <laughs> it's just so long. <laughs> I was like, I don't know which is going to be worse, teasing the, uh, the, the monarchy people or teasing the Hamilton people. Uh, teasing the Hamilton people is way worse. They're coming for me. You know they are. But other than that historical connection, what we've got basically is stories, fairy tales, epics, you know, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, some of these are not particularly inspiring examples of, of living under a monarch, are they? So all joking aside, I think we have some work to do if we as Christian people are going to think of Jesus as a king and serve God as if God were our king. Because that's one of the central ways that Jesus reveals God's nature to us in Scripture, as a king, and as it happens, also as a shepherd. And so today's sermon is entitled, The Shepherd and the King. Before we get back to the king part, I want to talk about the shepherd part. Because these two images, the shepherd and the king, would seem to be so different from each other as to make kind of a nonsensical combination. How could you be a king and a shepherd? Don't kings like pay shepherds or enslave them or something. I'm, again, I don't know how monarchies work. It doesn't make any sense unless you are shaped by the world of Scripture in which this makes a lot of sense. Not only is Jesus revealed to us as the good shepherd and as the reigning king, but in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, we have a fantastic example in King David who was taken out of the, uh, the fields where he's tending his flocks to be anointed the king of Israel. And in our reading today, you may have noticed, um, 
when David read it, uh, the lectionary passage from Ezekiel talks a lot about God as a shepherd. And there's even a portion at the end where he says something about about David being on the throne, which is a little weird because David was long since dead at the time of the book of Ezekiel's writing. So he must have been meaning something else. We Christians believe, of course, that this is a pointing toward Jesus. In any, ca- in any case, it's a, it's a messianic uh, statement, I believe. But here's what we hear God saying through the prophet Ezekiel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. God says, I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. The picture is of a God who loves and cares for the weakest and most vulnerable members of society. Those who've been pushed aside or left behind. Those who've gotten lost on the mountain. Those who are hungry or sick or injured. That's who God is, a loving shepherd who cares for the sheep. And I am so grateful for this image because, oh, do we need God the shepherd to care for the wounded, lost, strayed sheep today. St. Augustine gave a sermon on this passage of Scripture, Ezekiel 34, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And I can't believe what he says, how prescient it is. Here's part of it. Rain and fog, the errors of this world, a great darkness arising from the lusts of men, a thick fog covering the earth, and it is difficult for the sheep not to go astray in this fog. But the shepherd doesn't desert them. He seeks them. His piercing gaze penetrates the fog. The thick darkness of the cloud does not prevent him. Now, I'm not going to go too far down this road because doing so would be potentially very painful for many people in the room, but if you've ever, if you've ever thought, man, these old dead people, these old, these old saints of the church from you know, over a thousand years ago have nothing to say to us in our time, just think about the fact that St. Augustine wrote over 1,500 years ago about a great darkness arising from the lusts of men. And then imagine the news cycle over the last two months and you think, well, maybe he has something to say to us. And he says it is difficult for the sheep not to go astray in this fog, in this darkness. You may find yourself today having gone astray. You may find yourself lost in the dark. And yes, sometimes, very often, that darkness, that sense of being lost, that going astray is the result of things that we have done, missteps that we have taken, times when we thought, "Mm, the marked trail isn't really for me right now, I'm going to do my other thing. But I'd be remiss if I didn't acknowledge the fact that sometimes you end up lost and strayed and hurt and injured and in the dark because of something that somebody did to you. No fault of your own. You are not responsible for it, yet you bear the consequences of it. You may have been harmed or pushed aside. God will come and find and restore you. You may have been injured. God will come and heal you. You may have had your portion stolen 
by somebody who already had plenty of their own. God will feed you and give you what you need. And God has something in store for those, uh, what did Ezekiel call them? The fat sheep who pushed with flank and shoulder and butted at all the weak animals with their horns until they scattered them far and wide. He's going to feed those sheep too, but with justice. Which I think, um, maybe we need just a second of levity, I think sounds a little bit like a bad line from an action film. I'll feed you too with justice. (laughs) But that's what it is. And I think sometimes, uh, for me, in my station in life, the place that I am, the spaces I inhabit, the way that society views me, I feel um, like I don't ever necessarily get to that place where I need God to do justice on my behalf. And so, consequently, when I read texts in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, of God uh, like crushing enemies and destroying things and like going after people with a vengeance, I feel like I worship Jesus who reveals God to me perfectly and I don't see any of that in Jesus. And I would rather just leave that other stuff aside and focus on Jesus. That song, Jesus is Only You, that we sang a minute ago is a was a prayer of mine that became a song. And it's really my guiding principle in life and in faith to see everything in the scriptures through the lens of Jesus Christ, specifically Christ crucified. Because in that we have, other scriptures tell us, the the perfect image of God, the exact replica of God's very nature. And yet, we should not cast aside too quickly, especially those of us who are more, we'll say, uh, fortunate or privileged in society, because some people really need to know, first and foremost, before they can get to the nonviolent Jesus stuff, that God is their defender and that the people who harmed them are going to be crushed. That the sheep who are fat and are, you know, butting the, the weaker sheep out of the way are going to be fed with justice. Now, Allow me a brief diversion from the lectionary text for the following reason. I think the lectionary editors omitted some verses in this chapter which would be very helpful for us to hear. I'm not going to read them to you, but I'll tell you what they contain. So uh, could you show us the actual passage on the screen, Keith, that, from Ezekiel that the lectionary assigns to us today? It's chapter 34, verses 11 through 16, and then it skips a few and goes verse 20 through 24. Now, first of all, the, the first first verse of Ezekiel 34 is kind of like the, the, it kicks things off in a way that sets everything else up. So we're missing that, right? Why does it start in verse 11 with, with God saying, I myself will care for the lost sheep. I myself will bind up their wounds. I myself will feed them. Well, because the first part of Ezekiel 34 is the prophet Ezekiel speaking on behalf of the Lord against the shepherds of Israel. Those who were supposed to be caring for the weak and the lost and the strayed were derelict in their duties. And God goes so far as to say, I am against the shepherds. I will do it myself. I myself will go and care for them because you've been too busy shearing them and using the wool and fattening them up and then slaughtering them and eating the meat to care for those who are in need. So God says, if you won't do it, I'll do it. But watch out because you might get swept up in it. So then we have this space between chapter, or excuse me, verse 16 and verse 20. And in that space, uh, the prophet kind of goes after the other sheep of Israel, the more fortunate sheep, 
the ones who are, you know, pushing with shoulder and flank and butting with their horns. And God warns them as well. So we're all on the hook for caring for the weaker sheep, the lost sheep, those who have gone astray. And none of us are doing it. From the top down, the shepherds aren't doing it, the other sheep aren't looking out for their siblings. And man, we've seen a lot of that too, haven't we, over the last couple of months? A lot of shepherds who should be protecting vulnerable people. Instead, protecting the wolves. It's horrifying. I have to get to the gospel reading. (laughs) Uh, Our our gospel reading for today on Christ the King Sunday comes from Matthew 25. And if you've never heard the Ezekiel reading, maybe you have heard the Matthew 25 reading. When I start to read it, you may recognize it. It's the story of Jesus at the Last Judgment separating the sheep and the goats. Just as, uh, just as the Lord says in Ezekiel, I'll separate these sheep from these sheep. We're going to separate them. Now Jesus is saying, I'm separating the sheep from the goats. And this has been a challenging passage of Scripture for me, um, Matthew 25. Let me read it to you first, and then I'll explain what the challenge is. It's a little bit long, so I'm going to truncate it somewhat. I hope that you'll forgive me. Jesus speaking and says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And he goes on and repeats all of the things that the sheep did, the goats did not do. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? You can almost hear the defensiveness in their voices. Surely if we had seen you, Lord, we would have taken care of you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, that's a challenging passage for me, as I said, for a couple of reasons. One is I, the, the, the punishment aspect is hard for me to hear, to be honest with you. But also, I'm a good Protestant kid. I was raised in an evangelical Protestant setting. And I was taught that we are saved by our faith, not by our works. And here's Jesus seeming to say that salvation or damnation are dependent on your willingness to care for the least of these. That sounds to me like a, like a do, like a work, not like a believe, not like a faith. Now, 
In a slightly more mature space, I have come to understand the, the uh, inextricability of faith and works. That's the place I'm in now. But this passage has always, was, was always a challenge for me to, to grasp, given that I had been taught so often and regularly that you're saved by faith, not by works. Don't believe like those Catholics do. <laughs> right? And the same goes for, you know, Jesus is supposed to be the one that takes the mean Old Testament God and sort of sands off the rough edges and gives us something all charitable and loving, right? And nonviolent, as I said. And I think to an extent that is true. There is an extent to which Jesus reveals God's truest nature to us in a way that eclipses and supersedes everything that came before. This is what Hebrews 1 says, um, that in the latter days the Lord has spoken to us in, uh, through the prophets, and, uh, but now through his Son. It's a paraphrase. But here's Jesus essentially saying the same thing that Ezekiel said, and maybe even taking it a step further and saying, not only is it the people who have done the harm who are about to get it, but the people who could have stood up for those and helped those who had been harmed and chose not to are in the same boat. They're in trouble too. Well, maybe the answer to this conundrum that I have is that um, I'm not very good at being a subject of a king. Maybe what it is, is that I would rather have um, my faith be like a representative democracy, where uh, the ruler, um, if I don't like him or her, well, let's say him, uh, there's a clock ticking to when I can vote against that person and hopefully get rid of them. Right? You could find certain websites that even count down to the second. Right? That's what I want the world to be like. I want, however small my say may be, I want to have a peace in deciding who rules over me. And uh, uh, that's not the way kings work. <laughs> that's not the way monarchy operates. You get the king that you get, and you serve the king, whatever the king wants. That's how it goes. So maybe what it is is I need to be a a little more humble. Maybe I need to uh, sort of subjugate my own preferences and will uh, rather than that to instead focus on the will of God. And maybe I just need to kind of get over my my challenges. I think that might be part of what faith is. But also, let me give you a little bit of context around this particular text, Matthew 25, which is helpful to me, and maybe if you have the same kind of challenges with this text, it will be helpful to you. Remember, Jesus is speaking to his disciples who are all of what religion? They're all Jewish, right? They're all good, observant Jews in first century uh, Palestine, essentially. And who's in charge in those days? The Romans. Are the Romans Jews? No, they're Gentiles, (laughs) They are pagans. They are the oppressors. And so when Jesus says to these disciples, when the Son of Man, which by the way is a, a, at the time an accepted phrase borrowed from Daniel to represent the Messiah, right? and so he's referring to himself as the Messiah, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations, the, the, <laughs> all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a separate shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And the people are loving it. Because when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he's going to separate the people according to the nations that are before him. Do you, can you guess what they're hoping that means? All the Jews, all the Israelites are going to go over here because they're the sheep. 
all the Romans, the Gentiles, are going to be over here because they're the goats, and I can't wait. What's Jesus going to say that he's going to do to those goats who have been oppressing us for generations? And then Jesus switches the script on them because that is what Jesus does. And he says, the Son of Man will say to the sheep, and they're all thinking, yes, what are you going to say to us good observant Jews, Jesus? (laughs) He says all this stuff about helping the poor, helping the less fortunate. And they're like, well, yeah, that's important, but what are you even talking about? And then he explains to them, you have to do this to everybody. (laughs) You have to treat everybody this way. And if you don't, it's like you didn't treat me this way. And guess what? the people who are the goats, the ones who are actually being separated out into punishment, it's not because they're Gentiles, it's not because they're from the wrong nation or family group or tribe, the words are all interchangeable in the original language, it's because they haven't done what is right. They haven't walked in the way of the Lord who you claim to follow. And that kind of distinction knows no nationalistic boundary. It doesn't matter what family you're from or not. It's about the character and the quality of your heart. So they wanted one type of separation and they expected one type of separation and he had an entirely different separation in mind. Based on who had lived out the calling that he himself places on all of us and the calling persists to this day to live at peace with one another to resist the temptation to throw our weight around, to bind up the brokenhearted, as one of the other prophets will say to us as we get further into Advent starting next week. That's the separation and that's the judgment. And that helps me with Matthew 25 a little bit. Because if the way that Christ reigns in power and the way that Christ uh, meets out judgment is based on our willingness to follow him and walk in his way, which is itself an act of faith, yes. That's a little bit easier for me to accept than the kind of on the face of it reading of what I see when I read Matthew 25. But just because it's a little easier to accept does not mean that it is easier to implement. It actually might be a whole lot harder to carry out. It's easier to get in by virtue of your family group whether that's 1st century Jews or 21st century evangelical Christians, it's easier just to check off the boxes to show your membership card and walk through the pearly gates. doesn't seem to be the way Jesus wants to carry it out. So let's pray together and ask God to help us with this difficult teaching, with this difficult, heavy calling. Gracious God, who is revealed to us in Scripture as a good shepherd, as a reigning king, we pray for your help today. We pray for your help to understand what it means to be subjects of a king. We pray you would uh, remove from us our constant need to be in charge, to be independent, to control our own destiny to live the way we want to and instead replace it with the tenderness of your own heart for all of the lost and hurt and strayed sheep. Help us to see when we are among their number, when we think we are part of the group but have actually walked off 
into the wilderness. Bring us back, we pray. And give us courage and strength to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the wounds of those we encounter in society, and to do it with cheer and courage and steadfast hope that it's but one step on the road to a fully restored heaven and earth, which is our hope at Advent and always. We pray these things in the name of Christ, our Good Shepherd, and our reigning King. Amen. Well, our table will be open now. We're going to sing a couple more songs together. Our communion table is Uh, an open table, which means that you don't have to be a member of our church to participate in the sacrament. If you are uh, a servant of Christ the King, this sacrament is for you, and you can come and receive the bread and dip it in the cup. We have wine and juice. Remember Christ's broken body, his shed blood. Receive it as not only that act of remembrance, but as uh, spiritual food for your hungry souls. And may it be for you an act of unity with each other and with all Christians around the world and throughout time who have observed this sacrament. We will also have a member of our prayer team at the back of the room who would be happy to pray with you. If you prefer not to take communion right now, you're still, uh, that's still available to you if you wish. Uh, your kids uh, are ready for you to go and get them and they can take communion with you as well. Um, let's continue to worship God in sacraments, in prayer, and in song. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.